All right, everyone, welcome back. After our last week, uh, movies that are so bad they're good, although that's not really what it was. It was just movies that are bad, period, full stop, but we love them anyway. We wanted to kind of keep going on that, not necessarily, not necessarily do bad movies, but stay in the movie business. And we got to thinking on directors, thinking of our favorite directors and then probably by extension their favorite works. Do you want to start, Chris? <clears throat> I wish I had a great answer of who I love. It, it's, I've always been a fan of movies. It wasn't until maybe 15 years ago that I really started to identify a director and his work and how that's different than a different director and his work. You know, I mean, I've always been a Martin Scorsese fan because I love mob movies, but a lot of his, his formulas are very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I, I like. I know you're not a huge fan, but I like Quentin Tarantino. Right. I think he's gotten much deeper as it's progressed. His his current work is much, much more dynamic and well, let's say different than Pulp Fiction and that okay. sort of stuff. But I've always been a fan of anything that makes me think about it long after the movie's done. Almost like I have to see it again because I can answer this question that I, I, I'm leaving the movie theater or, or what, what have you, and then I watch it again and I'm even more confused or less certain. <laughs> and for me, it's the, the Coen brothers. Oh, Coen okay. Brothers. And, sure. and I would put Kubrick, but I'm, you remember I'm a little young for Kubrick, so I look at that okay. more as you know, going back and looking. I think I was only really alive for a few of his films, right. but current day, I would say the Coen, No Country for Old Men, I mean, there's so much in that. Now, how much of this, when you watch a film I suppose it matters how you're watching it, but just when you watch a movie, do you find that you want to be aware of the directing or do you want it to disappear? You know what I mean? Wow. You want to watch a movie and say, <laughs> now that was a brilliant shot. Or do you want it to just wash over you and you never thought of it? You know, it's, I kind of, I take movies like I do music, it's moods. If I'm in certain moods, I want to listen to 80s. Certain moods, I want to listen to country and be depressed. Certain, you know? <laughs> So I have to really, like, No Country for Old Men, first time I saw it, I, I didn't really care for it. I thought it was very boring. I thought it just dragged on. But now it's one of my favorites. Like, I just go back and there's just so much stuff behind it, so much good acting that you have to, as the viewer, it's so ambiguous in so many different spots um, that I, I like that. But i got to be up for a movie like that. Sure. There's plenty of sure. times, just give me an Adam Sandler movie and call it a day. Oh, right. You right, you, you, it's not always it's not always grass fed steaks. But I think that with the Coen Brothers, I mean, Fargo is different than The Big Lebowski, and right. so, so I, I, I never know what I'm going to get with the Coen Brothers. Is well, like you take The Big Lebowski, um, there are quite definitely iconic shots where you say, "No, that's that's definitely something going on from a cinematography angle." So with that particular movie, I think it's clear that. You can't watch it and not notice that this is a movie happening to me. But other guys, um, you might watch and not actually notice the directorial choices until someone points them out to you. Hmm. See, I think um, for me, the best directors for me are ones that I notice the shot. They say, no, that's a brilliant shot right there. As opposed to, it's all happening under the surface. I guess sort of like writing. I like writers who are stylish in a way that I can see versus... That was all happening under the surface. I never noticed it. Interesting. I want it to be sort of take advantage of your medium, 
But do you also find that you catch stuff that other people don't? Like it becomes well, obvious to you and somebody else goes, oh, I didn't even notice yeah, that. Yeah, but I, I, would, I would say in that regard, it's not that other person who didn't notice, you just weren't looking. It's not that you're incapable of seeing it, you just happen not to be glancing over there at that thing. Like we said before off, off uh, mic, that I'm not a particularly good movie watcher of certain kinds of movies. Action movies, I'm not a good, I'm not the person to be watching because my focus is invariably on the wrong thing. Like we said, when James Bond breaks into the villain lair and you know chokes out a, a mercenary, I'm thinking of the mercenary. Oh, he had a life and he was just making, you know, paying the bills. He probably wasn't as evil as all that. He was just got caught up in the wrong group. He thought he was doing Now right his thing. daughter's birthday was today, and he's <laughs> going to get her that unicorn doll. Now he can't because he's paralyzed. See, I look at it from a different standpoint. When I watch, when I go back and watch action movies, I'll say, like, he would have already reloaded ten times. Like, you, you, you can, you'll clear a 30-round mag, and that's, that's semi-automatic, in ten seconds. You know, ten to fifteen seconds. You know, fully automatic, you're done in five seconds. But I'm like, they have not reloaded one time. Wouldn't everyone be deaf at the end of this? Yeah, it's with a lot of gunfire. Bang, bang, and, and yeah. They have tinnitus. And they... Right. It's, yeah. So that's where I look at it more. Like, you're the sympathetic, gentle soul. But, in a, but, it, but it's misplaced. <laughs> like, that, that character doesn't even have a name in the script. He's guard one. And yet I've given him a whole story. The guy who's aimlessly turning right. knobs in the back. Right. You're like, oh. Oh, that darn! He's taking night school, and he's almost got his degree. He's gonna better himself. Yeah. The thing—it's—it's. It's I have a weird thing. I, I hate watching, and I go crazy, and I just oh, don't do that. It's when there's incidental deaths. It's not even a direct death because our hero was forced to kill this guy because of objective A. It's monster knocks down a building, and rubble falls on fifty people. Go, oh my god! Just fifty work. people dead. That had nothing to do with this. There's no way those people deserve that. <laughs> and our heroes, nothing. They don't sift through the rubble in, in tears. No, I guess they just cross them off. That's why, and I keep going back to this, as much as the original Star Trek had problems, and boy, did it have problems, they at least paid lip service when it's, like we say, we're going to beam down to the planet. It's Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Ensign Chavez. <laughs> guess which one's... Scotty is going to be three to beam up in a second. But at least when Chavez gets it in the neck, poison darts, phaser fire, whatever it is, there's at least a line where Kirk says, his father helped me get into the academy. Oh, there you go, something. Now, two minutes later, they're joking and laughing. They've forgotten all about Chavez. But at least there was something, some sort of nod that, all right, a guy died. That's sad. So a perfect movie for you would have great cinematography right. that has obvious right. and, and we random these, arbitrary victims we get recognized. These, we put up these rabbit holes. <laughs> the plot would just never get started because all... He has to recognize every victim. And I, man, I've it would be, this person for five years. It would be as I lay dying, but as an action movie. Yeah. So, so back to directors. Like I said, for me, it's the overt sort of, uh, that was a brilliant shot, and that's why I like Kubrick so much. Because you can't watch a Kubrick movie and not know you're watching one. Does that make sense? You don't oh, go, yeah. who is this? What do you mean, who is this? Who else could it be? Um, but Tarantino, what I have seen 
it's funny. I I should like it. Like, well, it's got all the checks, all the boxes, but I am just turned off by violence. The violence, and it's I can't very, handle it. Yeah, and it it he. I'm, <laughs> well, we were I was trying to think of like a police violent movie, but that's just sort of his niche, isn't it? Is like it's kind of what he does. Like, unnecessary yeah. violence. Yeah. And it'd be one thing if like a, a person listening might say, "Well, hang on a second. Kubrick's no saint. You know, Clockwork Orange is brutal. Different that's type of absolutely violence. brutal. But I would say the point of the movie is the violence, as opposed to window dressing of the movie. That's what I violence. would say too. And I know that Tarantino." Um, Apologists would say that's not at all what he's doing, but what I've seen, I just I, I go, hmm, you know what? I don't know. I, I I feel as if in a in a Tarantino movie, the violence that happens, he's off screen, you know, looking through his camera, muttering, "This is so cool." Whereas I want a director going, "This is awful and tragic, but it's necessary. We got to do this." I don't want. I guess I don't want cool violence. I, guess, I get, I know, and I, I completely understand what you're yeah. saying. I like what Quentin Tarantino does. He tends to find actors that just steal the show with the characters. Sure. Like Chris Waltz in, in Inglorious Bastards. Right. I mean, just amazing actor. And that movie would have not been the same without him. So he finds these guys that make the movie. And that's what I've, I've liked. And I don't know if it's by accident. I told you I've been getting into a lot of these series where they go over the movies that made us and right. how these came. Right. And, these classics that we always refer to shouldn't have happened the way they did. Uh -huh. It's almost like a miracle, but we're thankful that they did. Do you find it fascinating sometimes when you watch a movie with a particular actor and you say to yourself, no, that was just brilliant. Then you'll watch a different movie, same actor, and think, that was awful. You're, yeah. you're terrible. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't mean to badmouth the actor, but Hayden Christensen comes to mind. People thought in the Star Wars movie, like, this is bad. That was terrible. Not just, not just, not noteworthy, like bad, bad. But then in, oh, was it Winter's Bone? There was another drama that he was in that people praised as this one of the best performances we've I ever think, seen. You know what? I, I, no matter who was going to be cast in that movie, they were going to fail because yeah. there was so much expectation. True. And they probably, I mean, it was a, do you, and I remember uh, listening when they were casting Christopher Reeves, the reason they cast Christopher right. Reeves. Yeah. is they said, we want a no-name, because if you see Al Pacino flying in this, you're going to go, oh, there's Al Pacino dressed as Superman. They want that would have been good, though. <laughs> Here, man! <laughs> Truth, justice, American way! Oh! <laughs> yeah, Al Pacino, is, we, I think we just named the next, the next thing. Pacino Superman. And, and now, as he is now. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> 75. Look at your doggy! <laughs> Was it Nick Cage at some point? Yeah. In screen test. That is for the. Uh, I don't. Th I think it was they were going to do an, an interlude movie between the the end of what Superman four the, the and the, the Superman Returns. Oh, I right, think they were okay. going to do something okay. in between. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's why, you know, they they went with Hayden Christensen was I don't know who was it? Leonardo DiCaprio playing him. No good because it. it, it's that's my only guess. Of why it could they be. did that. It, it could be that actor. I thought he was terrible. I thought he came off whiny. I thought he, you yeah. know. Whereas, you know, Ian McGregor was great, in my opinion, sure. as, as uh, Obi Wan. Uh, Apparently, Alec Guinness really didn't like. I had just like, read hated that. It. Hated it. That he's that. Because he's such. This? Wasn't he a Shakespearean? Yeah, I mean, what, what am I doing? Like, what is this? There's more machine than that now. Like, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, what, what am I doing? I'm starting a green screen as a 
There's a walking carpet next to me. There's another guy that's old robot. What's his trash can? Beeping I, was in, I was in the bridge on the River Kwai. <laughs> God's sake. But that's a huge get. I mean, it was a huge get for that movie. And it worked. I mean, even at like one half speed, Alec Guinness is still pretty good. So um, for that's why I like Kubrick. It's a you know you're watching a Kubrick movie. Another director I actually like a lot, even though a lot of the movies he's done, I go, well, that's not necessarily a fantastic movie. There's a director called Baz Luhrmann. He did Moulin Rouge. Mm. He did the, yes. the most recent Gatsby. Mm -hmm. He did a Romeo and Juliet thing. Really aggressive director. Like, taking unbelievable chances. And, and Hugh McGregor was in Moulin Rouge. Yes. And they did something just brilliant. They had, in Moulin Rouge, one of the storylines is, or the storyline is, there's a songwriter who is way ahead of his time. He is the best songwriter there's ever been. Well, how do you as a scriptwriter write a guy who's a better writer than you? Hmm. Right? How do you write, how do you give him a line that's better than a line he would have come up with on his own? And the way they did it, they set the movie, the movie set at the turn of the 20th century, like 1900. They had him come up with current pop hits he would, to show that's how ahead of his time he is. I mean, He's like a hundred years ahead. When did that move? That was early oh, 2000s. Yeah, something it? like that. Nicole Kidman. Yeah. No, I, re I Berger, remember seeing it. I think I was supposed to go on a date. So watch it's it. it's wild. Yeah. Well, it really, it's the it's the Orpheus. Do you know the Orpheus legend of the? Yeah. It's that. It's that. Just retold. Well, I also, in my older years now, um, would love to go actually go back and see it because oh, yeah. I appreciate so much more. And that's what we were talking like. Sure. My understanding appreciation of philosophy has opened up so many new things that it didn't when I was forced to take it in school. So right. watching a movie on a date, I'm like, okay, this is a rom-com. But that's how I looked at it. But it sounds you've got me intrigued with it. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's good. And like I said, the, the he goes out of his way to make cinematography. He uses pop music out of... He, really what Baz Luhrmann likes to do is be anachronistic. Say, this thing doesn't belong in this time period. We're just going to jam it Which in. Which I like. Oh, and I he does like it aggressively. Those. Like aggressively. Um, so who else do I like? Kubrick, Lerman a little bit. Um, well, how would you, let me ask you a question. Yeah. So how do you compare a Clockwork, uh, Clockwork Orange, 2001, and Full Metal Jacket? All Kubrick. Oh, right. So how do you, but because I think it's just, okay, explain. Like how me. do you say it's the same director? Yeah, how, okay. well, how do we look at Full Metal Jacket? Because that's two movies, which everyone's yes, familiar with the first part. The second part is so much more deeper and, and tackles so much, but everyone loves Arlie Emery as, as the drill sergeant in the first half of right. that movie. I mean, right. you know, I watch that over and over and over, right. and it's not that untrue. Uh, it's, really, it's close? <laughs> well, there's kinda... a few things. You don't sleep with your rifle. We have an okay. armory. Well, he was also unhinged. He was like, the drill sergeant was not a normal... Yeah, well, I think most of them aren't. To be honest with you. <laughs> well, the, mil the mil it's funny, because the military does something. People don't realize it brainwashes you, and that's just the way. Because I remember coming back from basic training, and I was speaking in acronyms. I was oh, yeah? I was standing at attention talking to my father, and okay. he understood it because he was military. My whole family was, but I see it when ex students or players come back, okay. and it's just you're in a different world, and they have to get you to buy in. It was much more aggressive back in the time period of the '60s because right. that drill sergeant would have been a World War II vet. Oh know, right, training. Sure. so. When you're ensconced in that, you're you've got it. When you're doing something like that, it's it's not you easy. You know, 
there's something sort of good about that idea. We're, we're off our original subject, but that's what we do here. There's something good about the idea that the armed forces has to reshape its recruits into being what they need them to be. Because that implies a person in our civilized society is not already there. We have to, all right, you know what? You're a civilized person. We're going to ask you to do something kind of uncivilized. At least we're going to hope it doesn't happen, but this is our job. Yeah, well, they take, it goes in steps. Now that I've examined it as an older person Uh studying psychology, they take away your individuality. They shave your head, same haircut, same clothes. Everyone wears the exact same thing. For for my case, my my, uh, basic training in AIT was 13 weeks, but normally let's just say eight weeks or Marine boot camp, 12 weeks. So for you, you aren't any different than anyone else. You have to talk the same way. We all use the same acronyms. We use the, the, just, we would yell things like, you know, they'd say, what makes the grass grow green? And we'd yell, blood, blood, blood makes the grass grow green. And at first time you're saying it, you're rolling your eyes like, this is stupid. But by week eight, you're like, Ugh! you know, I mean, they're That's getting good. you. Okay. And then that goes to the whole psychology of separating yourself, like we do as a defense mechanism. If you say something to offend somebody, what's your thing? I'm just kidding. You don't get it. I'm joking around. So they're trying to displace whatever moral compass we have that says killing somebody is bad. No, it's not me. I'm I'm playing a soldier. I'm playing a But that's, in a way, that's good that we have to do that, as opposed to, oh, we got got millions of killers. Just give them a gun and make them run. No, you're right. And I know a lot of it, too, is, well, but we don't want killers. We need a disciplined unit that will enforce our government's decisions. And it, and it decisions does that, because once you get out of basic, you kind of find it. But, I mean, John Rambo, he had a hard time. John Rambo did have a hard time. <laughs> who was the director for that? Let's bring that back. I don't even know. I, <laughs> I don't honestly know. don't know who I directed. First the, Blood. If it was even the same director. <laughs> I, I doubt it. <laughs> um, so, anyway, you said Full Metal Jacket. How do you sort of square that Full Metal Jacket, Clockwork Orange? I'll do you one better, and then go to Barry Lyndon. Like, oh. oh, you got a triangle. Like, how, are, yeah. how is this the same guy? One of the trademarks Kubrick likes to do, likes to do something called deep, deep focus or single, single point perspective, where he'll take a hallway. Remember The Shining, yeah. how many hallway the, shots right. there are? And he'll put the entire thing in focus. So everything in the foreground is as sharp as everything in the background. Hmm. A lot of the shots of the drill sergeant are single point focus. The camera is pointed towards Army, and it's going down the aisle of the recruits yeah. all the way to nothing. And it's also an upward shot, so that Army's a little bit bigger than he normally would be. He's towering over everybody, because the angle of the shot's going upwards. Uh, Kubrick's also fond of quiet. He'll do shots that have no sound, there's no score, there's no sound. Um, And like he did in Clockwork Orange, since you brought that up, Clockwork Orange has one, it's not really anachronism, it's just a complete juxtaposition. When... Alex, the spoilers for anybody who doesn't know Clockwork Orange. Too soon. <laughs> yeah. Alex and his droogs are, they're assaulting the author and his wife. Yes. He sings Singing in the Rain. Now, there's a whole story for why they chose that song. But it's so incongruous. Like, that is not the song you sing while doing that. In um, Full Metal Jacket, they sing the Mickey Mouse song at the end of the movie. That's right. Not the song you'd sing. Like, of all the songs you can think of, that is not the song to sing in this situation. After they've just gone through this harrowing sniper attack, only to discover the sniper 
what is she, like a 13-year-old girl yeah. or something? Teenage girl, fat. Whom they have to kill. They have to. And they have to leave with this knowledge of we lost half our unit or whatever, however many guys they lost. And we just killed a 13-year-old girl. What do you do? Clearly, you sing the Musketeer song. <laughs> I mean, the, the absurdity and tragedy of that moment, that's what Kubrick's good at. Absurdity and tragedy mixed really, together. You know what? But this is what I'm talking about. Like, I think that's far different than if I watch... A Rob Reiner film. Sure. Who I, oh, I really like a Rob Reiner, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I mean, I'm watching Stand By Me, and there's a lot of levels of growth, but it, it walks you right through it, Correct. and it leaves, right. and I'm not, I'm fully, it's all wrapped up in a bow, right. and I can just appreciate it, right. like it, just like Throw Mama from the Train or any number of. Yeah, or Nora Ephron films. Yeah. Like, there's nothing wrong with these, but no. you're absolutely right. They're, I mean, and I'm saying this, I'm not anywhere near their caliber, but it's a lot of, like, step one, step two, step yeah, three, formula. Sure and well cool. executed and well done, but it's still what you expected. It's, it's, and that's why you watch the end of a, like you say, a Rob Reiner movie or an Ephraim movie, and everything's as it should be. Oh, look at that. Everybody's cool. Everybody's matched up. And I think we need There's that. There's a puppy. We, we need that oh, Of course you do. Thing. Yeah. And because... Watch God, Clockwork Orange every day. Oh. <laughs> That movie gave me, not nightmares, a, but one of those, like, what happened? Well, that's a like, kick in the was? face. Like, Why would you do that? Nobody, I don't think, has ever, hey, it's movie night, what do you want? Clockwork Orange. No, no, absolutely not. Or 2001, like, I, I love that. I mentioned that my son wanted yeah. to watch it, and he loved it just as much as I did. But You're not going to fire it up again anytime soon. No, no. It's the same <laughs> with, like, the Joker movie. Uh, oh, right. Phoenix. Joker, yeah. You know, I thought that was great, but I don't think I've seen it since then. Maybe a part of it. And I don't plan on it. No, no, no. It. It's, yeah, right. it's too, it's exhausting. I'm tired. Yes, I feel yes. like I've worked out my mind. Absolutely. Um, so I, those are mine. Um, I actually like Capra. Yeah. Hitchcock, you mentioned Hitchcock yeah. before. Yeah, there's Hitchcock. What about uh, Coppola? Like. You like Coppola? Like the Godfather? I'm, I'm not, Apocalypse I don't now. happen to be, I, li I love Apocalypse Now. I'm not as much into mafioso stuff. I just I'm not. Although um, I say that, and The Godfather is brilliant. So, so I do like Coppola, Richard Donner. Mm. I like he was your Superman again. Yeah, he was Superman. Um, Hua, Hua. Where are my other? Where are these wires? Yeah. So oh, back to the Al Pacino. Oh, you will believe Al Pacino can fly. <laughs> Al Pacino is Superman. That's your... Hey, Zod, get your, over here. That's the, that's the <laughs> casting. Emma Stone as Lex Luthor. Just go the opposite. Like completely well, I will tell you this, because as you know, my father... Pacino could have been Lex Luthor. You take it in that direction. <laughs> Kryptonite! Pull! <laughs> who, who plays Ned Baby's Who plays Ned Baby's character? Oh, yeah. Who's, who's Otis? <laughs> <laughs> What if we just kept it Ned Beatty but instead of Gene Hackman? Or, you know, if you really want to be out there, Pacino's both. He's, he's Lex Luthor and Superman. Hey, uh, Mr. Luthor. Mr. Luthor. <laughs> I got your paper. <laughs> Al Pacino. And just redo the old 70s just movie. Everything just redo all, it. He plays all the characters. Meet John Malkovich. Theory, but it's fine, Al Pacino. Al Pacino as Superman, the Chris Reeves Superman. Not even a new one. Not even a new reimagining. Line for line remake, except as Pacino would do it. Emma Stone plays Bargo Kiddo. Oh. She plays all the And don't even use an infant. Just use him. Dad, what are you putting me in the chandelier for? Hey, you're changing that tire. Help me lift up the truck box. Make a touchdown every time. 
Well, we found it. We found the, uh, the next million dollar idea. Somebody has shut off the podcast because they're on the phone with the Chino's people. We found it. Al, capstone to the career. I don't know other, other, see, when I go into directors, I also have to go to, like, writers and stuff. Well, I'll tell you, because Spielberg, so, obviously, you know, my father-in-law works yep. for Spielberg, so I get, because he's his editor, so I get a lot of, sort of, the, uh, kind of behind the scenes, okay. if you will, of how it's put together, and it's a lot more, he, he's evolved, because if you look at Jaws or Duel, his early stuff. Duel, there's a good yeah. call. That's yeah. one of my dad's Thank favorites. You. Well, that was filmed out here. Duel. What a, bo- it's a bottle movie. Oh, like, it's nothing. Great. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Right. You never even see the bad guys. Never even see the bad guys. Just, just a hand out the window. Yeah. Boots. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but if you, then he, he got a little more calibrated on wanting to make movies that resonated messages. For him, it was uh, Schindler's List, which right. him being Jewish, right. it was, right. they will never forget about the Holocaust because of this movie. That was his whole goal, is that this movie, as long as this movie's out there, that, that tragic event, that horrific event will never be forgotten. So that was his... Push. There's another example of an actor who was not necessarily known, Liam Neeson. Oh, yeah. Guy. And that would that was great. Yeah. And in fact, I guess when he interview, or, uh, auditioned, Spielberg said, that's, that's my that's my guy. That's him. That's a good poll. Yeah, that's, you know, Spielberg is, you could go a whole, whole episode of just him. Because like you said, on the one hand, you've got Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of the best popcorn movies. Great. The homage to the, oh. all that pulp. Same guy that did Schindler's List. Yeah. No, so, he's multi. You know, I'll tell you who else. Because my father-in-law, he when we go to these sets, he he had Thanksgiving with Steven Spielberg. Like wow. I mean, he know. I mean, he's been texting me about football with Spielberg, asking how my games go, like asking my wife. Really? Yeah. So I, I still have never met him. So that that may happen. Um, but you know, he says this, just this summer is going to do the Chris Barner story. You know who we're going to get? <laughs> you know, Pacino. Pacino. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you. He's already played a football coach. He's got That's it. true. That's got true. It. We got it. But you know what my father said is or father in law is brilliant is John Williams. Oh sure. He said he okay. is just one of the smartest guys okay. he's ever been around. Just wow. just ahead because he came up with the you know the the Jaws and right. when he first, you know, was doing that, I guess Spielberg said, This movie's not gonna work. You're only playing two keys. Like, you know, and, but that that's it. That was right. the build up. So right. he just said this guy is I mean, look, just look at how much he's done. He's done yeah. so many. Just I mean, we celebrate people for often good reasons. Yeah. Or they're, they're successful because they're really good at right. it. Right. And we got the Kardashians. Then we have others that maybe you know, kind of fell into it a little bit. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, um, you know, Spielberg and Kubrick did have that brief collaboration on AI. Oh, yes. But Kubrick yeah. didn't, didn't survive. Yeah, I was going to say he didn't. And you can almost, when you watch that, I feel as, I yeah. think you can. Mm-hmm. I feel like you can, the stuff with the flesh fair, who, oh, the actor escapes me, who runs it, that felt very Kubrick. And then the the more sort of conventional chase stuff felt more um, Spielberg. Do you think Kubrick just was on his own planet? Yes. His stuff, like, you can't, yeah. nobody else can do that. I, I think so. And um, to listen to like interviews or read things from other people, they, they would confirm that. Go, no, this guy was not with us. He was in a strange, his own place. Um, well, you know the guy who played Animal Mother in, in Full Metal Jacket yeah. was saying that Kubrick made him do this scene over, and he would mumble under his breath, like, this guy's ill. And I guess Kubrick just lit him up. But that's what he wanted. He wanted to antagonize right. him for right. the role to be... 
And there's the, the, the famous story about Shelley Duvall and The oh, Shining. Yeah. She just tortured her on set. <laughs> it worked. Uh, but apparently, you got the shot, but I mean, Shelley Duvall's a wreck. She still is. Yeah, she's still I guess the guy. I guess the guy in Full Metal Jacket who has the line about shooting the women and children from the oh, helicopter yes. was the original Wilson. Really? That actor. Hmm. And they replaced him, and I guess they might have felt kind of bad, like, sorry. I'll we'll give you something here. How about you be this guy? We'll give can you, you imagine a... anyone else in that part, though? No, absolutely like, can't. Um, and I guess Army, to demo, he was, I guess, the not script doctor, but like a consultant. He was a consultant. And... Someone, they, they weren't getting the insults right or something like that. <laughs> oh, this is what you do, and went just eight minutes or whatever it was without repeating a single insult. That's it, you're in. Went, ah, you just, you, off the top of your head, you just had those ready? <laughs> well, sure, any good football coach can be yeah, the kidding me? Yeah. Because that, the, that's like, we got into his lineage. And oh, like it's his, so good, so good. Everything. Well, maybe next time we can talk about other parts of movies. Yeah. Uh, or, or maybe sequels. Or sure. something like that. More Pacino. Huh? But yeah, we got to go check out Pacino. Pacino so everybody Pacino listen, <laughs> listen for the Chris Varner story coming to you with Al Pacino in the lead role. Ooh, That's just yeah. Now you're gonna do that today on the oh, field. Yeah. You got to do it at some point. <laughs> you got to tackle it. Ha! You put your head in there. <laughs> All right, we'll see you folks later. If you'd like to hear more from Chris Varner, please visit my lifestyle channel called Just a Dad Bob. And for Sean, you can find my books on Amazon or on my website at seanobrienauthor.com.